Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and this week, pineapple on skewers. Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the thing we can't get off of our minds. And today, you've got me, Shannon Paulus, a senior editor at Slate covering science and health. And me. I'm Christina Cotarucci, a Slate senior writer and host of the Slate podcast, Outward. This week, we're going to be talking about what happens when you cross a fruit basket with a floral arrangement, with a pandemic, with a wellness trends gone off the rails. I'm talking about edible arrangements. That is the best summary of an edible arrangement that I've ever heard. Good job, Shannon. It contains multitudes. <laughs> Christina, I'm really excited to talk to you about this because you've been working on a piece that I've been looking forward to ever since I first heard tell of it in a Slate meeting. You have gone long on edible arrangements. I cannot say that I've ever received an edible arrangement myself or sent (gasps) one. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry to hear that, Shannon. But I think that as you write in the piece, something like 90% of their potential customer base is aware of edible arrangements. So they're one of those things that I've seen out in the world and thought, what would it be like to get a little bite of pineapple in the mail? (laughs) (laughs) How did you start reporting this piece? So the piece is called What's Eating Edible Arrangements. It's out today on Slate. And this is like a very rare uh, success story for me in the idle thought out in the world category of pitches. So a few months ago, I passed an edible arrangement store on the street. And I just kind of thought like, huh. You don't hear about edible arrangements much anymore. What are they up to? Like, I got one when I was in college, when I had strep throat. My parents sent it to me, you know, probably worried that I wasn't going to be getting enough nutrients. It feels like a relic of the past because it's so earnest and corny, but they're still clearly around today. So I just started Googling around to see what they were up to. And what I found was actually a really fascinating story of this one note company in decline that has been recently, you know, around the pandemic, desperately trying to save itself by launching a ton of new product lines. So instead of just remaining the company that everyone knows about that sells these kind of tacky bouquets of produce, um, Edible Arrangements, which is actually called Edible now, They want to be the one-stop shop for any kind of gift you might send somebody. Balloons, flowers, baked goods. And as we'll get into in this episode, they're also making a bid on CBD. And listeners, if you want to read my piece, it's called What's Eating Edible Arrangements, and you can find it at Slate.com. Yes. If you heard the word edible and thought, huh, that sounds like a pot thing, Guess what it is? A hemp thing. They would be quick to correct you. It's not a pot thing. It's a hemp thing. All right. We're going to talk about all of that and, of course, the gender and feminism of it all right after this break. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Waves listeners, we hope you're loving the show. And if you are, be sure to subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes, too. Recently, we've talked about prepping for doomsday, how to negotiate like a woman, romance novels, and the new wave of ecofeminism. All right, I'm here with Christina Cotarucci, a senior writer at Slate who has written a long and beautiful and well-reported feature on edible arrangements. It's the story we didn't know that we needed to hear right now. For the, like, small, tiny fraction of people out there who have not heard of an edible arrangement, could you describe what it is? Sure. So I want to give you a little background on this story, too, because as I found in interviewing a reporter who's been on the franchise beat for, you know, decades, this is really an iconic brand in franchising with a backstory that it's very proud of. So the founder of the company, Tariq Farid, immigrated from Pakistan as a child, and he and his brother founded this company in Connecticut because they had started working at floral shops. And they thought, well, what happens if we take a fruit basket and a flower arrangement and combine them? Um, So as I write in the piece, it's sort of like he took the worst parts of both things and made it into a product that somehow works. So it's a bunch of morsels of fruit. So pineapples cut in the shape of flowers, wedges of melons, strawberries, sometimes dipped in chocolate, on sticks stuck into a vase with a bunch of kale around the edges. It goes bad really quickly. You're supposed to eat it the day you get it, according to the company, which if you receive an edible arrangement by surprise, you might be a little bit pissed at the person who sent it to you because now you have to make room in your meal plan that day for an entire bouquet of fruit. But, you know, it's cutesy. It's importantly, you know, non-gendered and non-romanticized in the way that flowers are, which I think contributed to its success. And uh, you can get them in all shapes and sizes at any price point. Yeah, you were saying to me when we were talking about this earlier, the, the success of edible arrangements is the fact that you can send an edible arrangement to a man. <laughs> that is like my main thesis about why edible arrangements succeeded against all odds, because like I said, I mean, it's you can't keep it out on your bedside table to look beautiful the way you can with flowers. Unlike a fruit basket, you can't sort of spread out your consumption over the course of a week. So why do people like them besides the fact that they're so whimsical? And I think it's because, yeah, you, you know, you might not send your male coworker a bouquet of flowers, especially if you are a man, you know, because no homo, you don't want men to be sending men flowers, whatever. But an edible arrangement is just so casual. All genders eat fruits. Um, And I, I, 
the company has never said this, but I suspect that this is why. And, you know, I have one piece of anecdata to prove it, which is that my brother-in-law, who's a man, over the pandemic, whenever somebody on his team at work got COVID, you know, anyone he managed, he sent them an edible arrangement. He would never have sent them a bouquet of flowers, but a bouquet of fruit, you know, crosses gender lines. I would also, from like, in, in defense of this kind of like, you know, meaning neutral object or collection of objects on sticks. Like, I would feel a little bit weird, if, or a lot of bit weird, if I got a bouquet of flowers from a man who managed me, even if I was sick. But an edible arrangement has a much more neutral quality to it. Yes. And, I mean, I think this is part of the reason why their, their sales turned around during the pandemic it seems healthy. So if you're specifically getting something for somebody who is sick, it makes a natural gift. Yes. You also, though, described it as like an assignment with a deadline. (laughs) Yeah. I was trying to think of other things that you might send, you know, a faraway relative or a friend or a coworker. And a lot of times you want to send something non-perishable because you don't know what their schedule is like. You don't even know if they're home that day. And so flowers, at least in water, can last a while. And if they don't, sort of no big deal. A box of chocolates probably will last you for months on end if necessary. But when you send somebody an edible arrangement, you're saying, not only am I thinking of you, but I'm going to force you to think of me. Because for the next 24 hours, you're going to have to consume this entire bouquet of chopped fruit. Per your earlier point about the fact that you can send an edible arrangement to a man, um, I think that we should all like take home the lesson that if you've ever looked at an edible arrangement or if, you've, if you are hearing Christina's description and thinking that monstrosity, just remember sexism got us here. <laughs> Strict gender binaries about what people can and can't send to each other in the mail have landed us with edible arrangements. And here's where this story, which otherwise bears no resemblance to anything else I've ever written in my life, intersects with my gender beat because I have reported on and written about the uh, sexism of gift guides and like how... Nowhere are our gender norms more visible than in holiday gift guides for a boyfriend or for girlfriend or for mom or for dad. Men's gift guides are sort of famously reductive and depressing. It's, well, what can you get a man? Whiskey stones? A knife? You know, um, uh, whiskey? Like, the people really are at a loss when they try to think of gifts for men. If you go on the Edible Arrangements website, you know, they've actually put a lot of resources and brain power into their digital marketing in recent years. This is part of their sort of turnaround. And they have all of these extremely specific categories that are clearly designed to capture search engine traffic. And so just sort of off the top of my head, there's a category called inexpensive gifts for women. Father's Day gifts from daughter. So no matter what you Google, who you are and who your intended recipient is, they're going to give you an edible arrangement that you could send to somebody. I'll note that the Father's Day gift from daughter uh, category contains two edible arrangements, actually one arrangement and one fruit platter, both of which contain bits of fruit, chocolate dipped in the shape of mustaches. 
even though fruit is not in itself gendered, you've got to make sure it's in the shape of something that is. You can, like, see the algorithm, like, shaping the fruit on the platter, like, into, like, gifts from daughter for dad, mustaches. And or maybe a dad uh, who works at Edible Arrangement or a man was like, I don't want to get any, you know, fruit or a star-shaped, you know, pineapple. Like, give me something manly. And what is more manly uh, that's still a simple enough shape that it's legible on a cutout piece of chocolate-dipped pineapple than a mustache? Everyone knows that pineapples in any shape except a mustache are for women. (laughs) Are girls. And mustache pineapples are boys. We can sit here all day and make fun of edible arrangements, but this company has been very, very successful up until it had some rocky things happen over the past few years. Christina, what happened to prompt the change from edible arrangements to just the friskier edible? (laughs) Yeah, I like to say they pivoted from, yeah, arrangements to edible because they were really coasting on that signature product for about 20 years. Then in 2017, their sales started to decline. For two years in a row, their sales dropped by double digits, which, you know, that's a company in free fall. And they started freaking out. Uh, They hired a new CEO, the guy from Tropical Smoothie Cafe. He didn't work out. So they fired him like within a year. Um, And this was, meanwhile, the first CEO who wasn't the founder. So it was a really big deal for them to bring on outside help to begin with. But what really uh, marked a change was when they realized that their competitive advantage was not that unique product, because in fact, 1-800-Flowers was starting to sell fruit arrangements too, but their last mile delivery infrastructure. So uh, Edible Arrangements is a franchise company. Think of like Pizza Hut or something. There's a million Pizza Huts. When you call Pizza Hut, it directs you to the Pizza Hut nearest you. The edible arrangement nearest you has delivery people on staff to bring you an edible arrangement the very next day. And even before the pandemic, but certainly accelerated by the pandemic, there had been this shift toward in-home delivery. People aren't going around and, you know, stopping by the florist as much anymore. They're ordering things to themselves or to their friends for delivery next day, they've come to depend on that. So Edible Arrangements thought, well, how can we capitalize on this capacity we already have to make that happen for people? Well, let's start making more stuff. So if 1-800-Flowers is going to sell Edible Arrangements, we're going to sell flowers and we're going to sell balloons and, you know, hot sauce and cookies and they're making their own cheesecakes they were starting to launch these products and sales were starting to tick up again. The pandemic hit and they started to sell boxes of fruits and veggies because people were ordering groceries more. And so really this brand turnaround that that Edible was already establishing kind of got a boost from the pandemic in the moment where people were Googling, you know, send gift to friend like they never had before. Yeah, you had all of these people stuck at home and getting sick and a lot of other channels to buy things were clogged up or, or not accessible. Like you certainly weren't going to the store buying something yourself and putting it in a box to send to someone. Oh no. And it's funny, I, you know, went on the website to look at these produce boxes and 
so many of the comments were from during the pandemic, people saying, you know, I sent this to my daughter and her boyfriend, or I sent this to my aunt who lives in a nursing home. And I think it was like a new way to show people you cared and also were probably worried uh, weren't getting enough food or, or healthy food. That's kind of sweet, sending someone a box of potatoes because you love them. (laughs) Yeah, and potatoes. I mean, the vegetable thing was really a weird fit for them, but no weirder (laughs) than, you know, CBD, I guess. All right, next we're going to get into the CBD of it all in the wellness part of edibles and their arrangements after the break. But if you want to hear more from Christina and myself on another topic, check out our Waves Plus segment, Is This Feminist? Where today we're debating whether workout selfies are feminist or rather, are they anti-feminist? And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no paywall on the Slate website, and bonus content of shows like this one, along with Slate Money, Amicus, and more. To learn more, go to slate.com slash the waves plus. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com easy. Ramp.com easy. R-A-M-P dot easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. In this segment, we're going to be talking about how the Fruit on a Skewers company started selling CBD. So Edible, formerly known as Edible Arrangements, changes their name. They start selling bananas, brownies, and the thing that you might commonly associate with edibles. Um, Not psychoactive compounds, but a substance found in marijuana and also hemp. How did they manage to wedge CBD into into this edible universe? So it actually kind of tickles me uh, how they got into CBD. So just a little background on CBD. In the 20-teens, some states were legalizing pot, There was a surge of new marijuana retailers opening up and registering as businesses. And then in 2018, 
the farm bill legalized the production of hemp, which opened the door for a lot of other businesses that maybe weren't so interested in the getting high part of things, but wanted to capitalize on wellness trends, started making CBD products. Both CBD retailers and pot retailers were using the word edible in their marketing because a lot of them were making gummies and lollipops and brownies. And edible arrangements thought it was diluting their brand because they had actually trademarked the word edible. And they were looking at legal options to basically take these brands to task for using their trademark. So the CEO and founder, Tarek Farid, actually wrote about this in a blog post. And he said that he wanted to see if anything could be done to protect our brand name from being abused by those within the drug community. It was during this process that I began to educate myself about the various varieties of hemp. So he claims that actually his desire to stop, you know, drug users from associating edible arrangements with pot led him to realize that CBD has some great health properties, and this could really be a beneficial addition to the American medicine cabinet or, you know, a supplement to our daily consumption of foods. The company already had the intellectual property for edibles, so they started a CBD business called Incredible Edibles. Fabulous name. Love it. Again, with the SEO, you can't beat it. They thought at first, that what people are really going to want is a traceable product from respected producers of CBD. So they partnered with a Connecticut farm to grow the hemp. It was actually a pilot project with the state. Connecticut tobacco farms were switching over to hemp because demand for tobacco was falling. CBD was this booming new industry. So Edible basically agreed to buy the hemp from these 20 acres of farmland that had switched over from tobacco to make a CBD powder. And they launched Incredible Edibles with it. It's interesting because when I talk to researchers on, you know, the prevalence of all of these compounds or the, the ease with which we can buy all these compounds like CBD or Delta-8 or hemp-derived Delta-9, it's not the compounds themselves that they're worried about so much. It's the fact that, like, all of these retailers are popping up and selling them in an unregulated way. And so it, it sounds like it should be a really a useful solution to be like, we're going to grow hemp plants on this like one farm in Connecticut. Like you can like theoretically like go drive to like see your hemp plant before it goes in the bottle. <laughs> um, but it didn't work out from a market perspective. No, I mean, they don't speak about exactly why or how they made the transition away from the sort of farm to gummy hemp model to just let's buy powder from whoever and put it in our supplements model. But, you know, you can extrapolate that the fact that they made that decision to switch from one to the other meant that the first option was not producing the business results that they had anticipated. So the way I interpret that is that they realized people didn't care what farm their CBD was coming from. You know, this isn't like eggs where fancy, wealthy consumers want to know that their chickens got to have a fun life. This is a wide range of people from, you know, your organic produce consumers who pay a premium for their food products to like 
random people who read an article about how it can help their hypertension if they take CBD to stoners who really haven't ever questioned where their pot is coming from, um, wanting to sometimes not be high and just have the alleged, you know, relaxation or whatever effects of CBD. And speaking of random articles purporting various health effects, Edible Arrangements has involved itself in this portion of of the the edible ecosystem as well. Yes, this is one of the weirder rabbit holes that I went down. So long story short, Edible Arrangements franchisees were not super excited about selling CBD in their stores. They thought it was a very bizarre turn for the brand to make. And in some states, it involves jumping through some regulatory hoops. They'd have to register. Technically, federally, you're not supposed to be adding CBD to food products. So in some places, it's still this sort of legal gray zone. And Edible ended up selling its products mainly now on a website, IncredibleEdibles.com, unrelated to the Edible Arrangement stores. There's one brick-and-mortar location in North Carolina, but it's it's mainly operated on this website where I did purchase a pack of gummies. They were fine. And on this website, again, with their just incredible SEO marketing, which I'm going to credit uh, the founder's daughter, who's their head of e-commerce, with this. Um, if you go on their blog, it's just a treasure trove of how much CBD should I take for autism? Can CBD help treat COVID-19? You know, what's the benefits of CBD for diabetes? There's something purporting it has benefits for asthma, for IBS, for migraines, Parkinson's disease, not to mention the 50 best CBD cat treats, which is a little bit less potentially objectionable, in my opinion. But you've researched this too, Shannon. To me, this type of marketing, again, although they don't explicitly say it, the fact that they're doing it suggests that there are a lot of people out there searching for these terms and hoping that these conditions that are sort of famously difficult to treat, some of them don't have cures or treatments available. People are desperate for a way to treat themselves because they feel like they've been failed by their doctors. Their symptoms aren't being relieved by traditional, you know, Western medicine. And they're looking to this unregulated substance that it's basically like, well, since you haven't told me it can't treat asthma, perhaps it can. Perhaps it can. Yeah, I find this all fascinating from a science reporter perspective. So CBD has been FDA approved to treat one condition. It's approved as a seizure medication and not for all seizures, uh, uh, specific kinds of seizures and, and situations like if other seizure meds have failed for you. And definitely like not in the sense that you should go online and buy CBD. It's actually like a specific medication that your doctor can prescribe and that you can get like you'd get any other drug that your doctor prescribes. And then there's been a lot of preliminary research into its potential other uses as a drug, particularly in the realm of stress and anxiety. And Emily Willingham, who's a journalist friend of mine and the author of a book called The Tailored Brain, which is all about what substances and practices and like, you know, brain puzzles and whatever can can actually help sharpen your mind and make you like calmer and more alert and productive and what's all hooey. And 
she has a chapter where she goes through the evidence on CBD in your brain, and some small studies show that it helps a little bit. Some small studies show that it doesn't help. At least one study showed that it, it made things worse. Um, my favorite study um, is one that was published in 2021 in which there, there were 43 participants. Just to give you an idea of the sample sizes here, the researchers asked all of the participants to you know put a tincture under their tongue and, and hold it there for a little bit, which is what you do with CBD oil. And they told half of the participants, this is just an, a random oil. <laughs> and they told the other half, this has CBD in it. And the half that were, and, and none of the oil had CBD. It was all just like regular, I don't know what kind of oil, but just plain oil. And the half that were told that they were taking oil with CBD in it, they experienced uh, increased sedation as the researchers put it, so, like, it helped them sleep. And in the group of people who were told that they were taking CBD, out of those folks, the ones that came in believing, like, yeah, I've heard of CBD, I know it'll help my anxiety, I know it'll help my stress, they reported decreased anxiety and stress. (laughs) And I think that just kind of sums up a lot of... It's a compound with potential, but it's also one where... There's a strong placebo to it, especially if you believe in it. Meanwhile, I think I went into CBD thinking it was a bunch of hooey. And so when I tried an oil uh, or a tincture, it didn't help me at all. (laughs) But then I tried something called dad grass, which is a smokable CBD product that I tried when the company sponsored the Outward podcast. Rolled like a joint, smells like a joint tastes like a joint, smoked like a joint. And when I smoked it, I was like, wow, this is the first time I felt the effects of CBD. I'm so relaxed. But then I thought, you know, perhaps it's that literally everything my body is experiencing right now is telling me I'm smoking pot. (laughs) And so I'm expecting to feel it also a lot more quickly than I would with an edible, which if you eat a gummy and there's weed in it, you know you're not going to feel it for 45 minutes to an hour. So with CBD, it's like, oh, I ate a gummy. not going to remember I took it in an hour because the effects might be so subtle that I'm going to think it it didn't do anything. I should say also, like, the fact that researchers find that on average it doesn't do anything for anxiety, that doesn't mean that there aren't outliers around there. So, like, if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm fully convinced that I have a, a reaction to this and, like, think it's a great way to spend my money, like, amazing. That's that's good. Um, especially in the realm of, like, when you're just dealing with, like, I take this to calm down, not that, like, I take this to, like, treat my dog's cancer or whatever. <laughs> I'm curious what you think about the ethics of something like a company like Edible Arrangements having blog posts that suggest CBD could be a treatment for autism or for fibromyalgia. And, you know, they do link to studies that have mixed results. And they pull out in the blog post that, yeah, 49% of participants did see, you know, a decrease in disruptive behaviors when they gave this to their autistic child. 29% of people who gave the placebo saw that. So that is a better result from the CBD. But it's far from proven and and far from an unequivocal positive result from that study. Do you think 
companies should be marketing their products that way? No, obviously no. This is like when I was rereading Emily's chapter on CBD last night, I like definitely got that feeling again where it's like, oh, if you're a company trying to market CBD, like a scientist looking at this like totality of evidence would say we don't have enough information yet or like maybe you shouldn't buy this or maybe you should only buy this if you have like 50 bucks to flush down the toilet. But if you're a marketer looking at that evidence, you can say, oh, well, in this small study, in this small study, and in this small study, we saw these effects. So I'm going to, like, pick those up and then ignore the rest. That is obviously unethical. And particularly when you're talking about conditions like autism or asthma, where I, I actually, like, do not know enough to speak to, like, how to treat those things. But regardless, whether you're using, like, Western medicine or, like, newer, less explored things or modalities that have not been, like, validated by science, you you should be working with, like, a doctor or other professional who has, like, your overall well-being in mind and not, like, these SEO spammy articles, which are designed to suck you in. It's almost hard to have a response off the bat to your question of, is this ethical? Because you don't know, but it's also just so deeply how this world works. This happens with vitamins. It happens It happens with weight loss. Treatments where they could help some people in specific situations with specific risk factors a little bit of the time under medical supervision. The market applies them with this broad brush where they apply to everyone and they'll work for everyone. And hey, you might as well try it. Yeah, I also think it's telling that Incredible Edibles on its website contains phrases like feel-good foodery, self-care isn't selfish, self-care equals self-love. You know, this it's with a lack of sort of accepted medical literature to back this up and being very careful not to contravene uh, marketing laws <laughs> for for supplements and for food products. Um, they're marketing it as something that people with disposable income can just add to their self-care rituals and and to make themselves feel good in ways that a skin cream might, that maybe it doesn't matter exactly what the medical literature says, but if it makes you feel nice, you know, why not spend your money on that in the same way that you might spend it on something else? I think where it diverges from that ethically is the suggestion that it can actually treat medical conditions. Um, And it becomes pretty exploitative because people with those medical conditions who might not have a ton of disposable income but are compelled by virtue of their need for treatment to spend money that they don't necessarily have on unproven treatments gets you into some hot water, I think. So actually, this edible arrangement story starts in this really hilarious and weird place of like fruit on skewers, you know, men can send them to. And it ends up in just this completely like dregs of the internet exploitative mode around this substance that they're saying is a form of not just self-care, but medicine. I mean, and there's a whole nother part of the story about how franchisees actually feel exploited by the company, too, in a totally different way. But uh, you'll have to read the article on Slate.com to get that story. (laughs) 
Before we head out, we want to give some recommendations. Christina, what are you loving right now? I am super into the second season of The Flight Attendant on HBO. I watched the first season in, you know, the heart of the pandemic um, and was totally hooked. It's starring Kaylee Cuoco as a party girl flight attendant who in the first season wakes up next to a guy that she slept with, but he's dead and she doesn't remember what happened. And so she goes on this sort of globe-trotting mission to unravel the mystery and also clear her own name. Season two has her working as a CIA asset because they're like, wow, you're actually really good at this whole tracking down crime syndicate members thing. It's super funny and lighthearted. It co-stars Zaja Mamet and Rosie Perez, who are hilarious. Um, And it's actually got a pretty, I think, nuanced and sensitive portrayal of alcohol addiction too. So even though it's it's incredibly funny, you know, it it tugs on the old heartstrings as well. And I remember in the pandemic watching these incredibly beautiful shots of Bangkok and Rome and feeling like it transported me to a different place. And now even even as travel is back uh, for me, at least, I'm really enjoying seeing them go to Iceland and Berlin. And I feel like the show is made to be described as a romp. And I highly recommend it. What about you? I am going to recommend Harry and David Fruit Baskets. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I have not had a Harry and David Fruit Basket, or should I say a portion of a Harry and David Fruit Basket. It is a very rare occasion when I get sent an entire one just for me. Um, I've not had one since the holiday season when somehow I'd had a Harry and David pair before, but somehow last December... I just crossed paths with several boxes, boxes, not baskets, of Harry and David fruit. And obviously this episode reminded me of it. Wow, you crossed paths with them. They were walking down the street and so were you and you plucked a pear out of the box? And I, and I stole a pear out of the box. So glamorous. Well, like my, my boyfriend's boss, who is a man, sent him one. One showed up at the Slate office. And in fact, they showed up at the Slate offices, not addressed to the edit team, but addressed to another team that was here. And I like waited with bated breath for like other people to like do the legwork of figuring out if we could like have some of this box or if the team who it belonged to would come in and like lo <laughs> we got the pairs and <laughs> I was it was just so like I still felt like being out in the world was a little new and then there were these pairs here and the whole thing was just fantastic and the pairs are fantastic and I looked it up, and the cheapest box without shipping or other fees is like 40 bucks for about seven pairs. And so they're not cheap, but I'm just saying, like, if you have to send someone a gift for an occasion, and maybe now you're a little skeptical of edible, formerly known as edible arrangements, consider Harry and David pairs, particularly if you're sending something to me. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth. 
Shannon Paulus is our editorial director with Alicia Montgomery providing oversight and moral support. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewavesatslate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.